the moment that we're going to see Jesus face to face, eye to eye, that's coming. That's a rapidly approaching. And we want to be ready for that moment. That is a moment to be ready for. Jesus is coming soon, and we should be getting ready for that beautiful face-to-face meeting with him. And we should be investing all we can now for the sake of the one who invested his life. Do you know the importance of giving to the work of God in Israel and the neighboring countries? And how can we do more for Israel? Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we share a biblical teaching from Matthew chapter 25, a challenge to Christians and a message on giving. This episode touches on learning, praying, giving, and going in furtherance of the gospel. Here's today's episode with Joel. Let me start in Matthew chapter 25, because we spent some time on Matthew 24, and not that we went through it exhaustively, but we got an overview of some of the signs that indicate we're getting closer to the, certainly to the second coming of Christ, and if we're getting closer to the second coming of Christ, we're certainly getting closer to the rapture, and I would argue that we are in full motion uh, heading into the end days, what's called the last days. That doesn't mean I know when things are going to get wrapped up. But I'm excited. And we need to be living with an urgency, with a sense of readiness, a sense of uh, that we're not going to get caught off guard. Yeah, at the exact moment that Jesus calls us to meet him in the sky, sure, if that happens in our lifetime, that will be uh, startling and exciting. But it's not that it's going to catch us off guard as though we didn't know it was coming and that we weren't living our lives, I would say, investing our lives towards that end knowing that we're going to see Jesus face to face, whether we die physically and end up in heaven or whether we're raptured. Either way, the moment that we're going to see Jesus face to face, eye to eye, that's coming. That's a rapidly approaching. And we want to be ready for that moment. That is a moment to be ready for. Think of all the big occasions in your life that you've gotten ready for. And yet it's very easy to kind of go through life and get distracted by all kinds of things and not really be getting ready for that face-to-face meeting with the one who laid his life down to purchase us out of hell. So we want to be living that way. And certainly Matthew 24 is about that. But Matthew 25 becomes even uh, more clear in in many ways. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, and behold, the bridegroom come out and meet him. That was the shout. That's what people were saying. Hey, it's time. This is it. This is the moment we've been waiting for. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent, hey, come on, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, no, there's not going to be enough for us and for you, too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. 
Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. Verse 14, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went out and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you've entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. And his master said, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. And I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had also received the one talent came up and said, Master, I know you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, and I gather where I scattered no seed, then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness And in that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer 
to him and say, Lord, when exactly do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked, or sick, or in prison, and didn't take care of you. And then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Well, that's a sobering chapter. And uh, I don't mean to be a downer, but, you know, These are the words of Jesus and they fit the study that we're having, which is you can study prophecy in great detail, but ultimately it's not about trying to know all the seals and all the trumpets and all the bowls and the chronology and the maps and the charts. None of that's wrong. It's all from the Lord. But the question is, does it motivate us to live differently in light of the fact that we know this? So chapter 24 is about these are the things you would be seeing as we get closer to the return of Christ. But chapter 25 is really about how are you living therefore? Are you living with an alertness, with a readiness that he could come back at any moment, that you don't know the day or the hour that he's coming? That if you have the general sense that he's getting closer, if you see prophecies uh, coming to pass, prophecies that didn't necessarily have to happen before he came, but now that they've happened, they're, they're indicators that we're getting closer. How are we living? Are we living in readiness? I'm not going to break down each of these three different sections about the the virgins and about the parable of the talents and then, of course, about uh, the sheep and the goats. The broad themes are so clear. They're so obvious. And, of course, it would be wonderful to study all this verse by verse. But the point is, are we ready? First, are we born again? That was a fascinating and wonderful question that came up. What does it mean to be born again? Well, we have to make sure that we've been transformed, that our soul is completely forgiven because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for us, that he's the atonement. You have two choices. You can pay for your own sins by dying and going to hell forever and ever to pay for those sins, Or you can accept that Jesus died once for all for you and rose from the dead and he'll pay the penalty for your sins. The sins have to be paid for. They have to be atoned for, covered. They have to be paid for. That's what the Bible says, that the wages of sin is death. That's the payment that we get. And even if we only sinned one time, then we have to make a payment and the payment is our own death, physical and spiritual forever, unless somebody else pays for us, right? So 
That's the choice. And by saying, yes, I, I want Jesus to pay. He, he already died for me and I accept this. I receive this. I believe this. I repent. I turn away from the fact that I'm a messed up person. I'm a broken person. I, I got all kinds of sins. Sins I'm happy to talk about. Sins I don't want to talk about. I don't want anyone to know about. I have all those sins and I don't want to pay for them on my own. I receive Jesus. When you do that, you're born again. When you make that decision to receive Christ, you're born again. And that means you go to heaven. Now, one of the confusing things about this passage, uh, especially the last one, the sheep and the goats, is if you misread it, if you misinterpret it, you could think, well, as long as I'm feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting the people in prison, those who are sick, then that gets me in. Isn't that what he said? That you did all this, that makes you righteous, therefore you go to heaven. You didn't do it, you're not righteous. No, one could read it that way, but that would be a wrong reading in the context of scripture. What he's saying is, if you are born again, you are not only clean before God, you now have the Holy Spirit living inside you. And the Holy Spirit will prompt you to live for Christ and do what he wants you to do. So much so, it'll seem so natural in a way that when Jesus says, hey, you did this for me and you did that for me, and you're like, did I? You know, I was just doing what I was supposed to be doing. And, and so what the uh, sheep and the goats, that's a story of because you were righteous, you did these things for me. And these were evidences of your faith, of your salvation, of the fact that you were born again. It wasn't the things that you did got you into heaven. The totality of scripture is crystal clear on this. Okay, If you're doing really well feeding the poor, don't lean on that to get you to heaven because you still haven't paid for your own sins. And what this chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 25, really talks about is being ready, living with a sense of urgency that Christ is coming back, and we need to be ready. And that we need to invest our time, our talent, our treasure wisely, the way he wants us to, so that when he comes back or when we see him face to face, he won't say, hey, you worthless person who didn't, I entrusted this to you and you didn't take it seriously, you didn't invest your life. You don't want to spend your life. You want to invest it. And so this is what the Lord is talking about here. And then, yes, of course, he wants us to care for the poor and the needy. He doesn't want us to forget the poor. Even when the apostles were trying to figure out what part of the gospel and any part of the Jewish experience of the Old Testament covenant, is there anything that we apply uh, to the Gentiles as they come into the kingdom? Do they need to convert to Judaism or just to Jesus? Right? That's the Jerusalem Council in the book of Acts, and it's just Jesus. You're not converting. You don't have to become kosher. You don't have to wear a kippah. You don't have to keep the law. You need to follow Jesus and the entire you know, New Testament and learn the principles of the Old Testament. But one of the things that the apostles say to all the Gentiles is, but don't forget the poor. Care for the poor. Make sure that that's part of your priority because it's part of God's priority. So those are some of the themes that we see in Matthew 25. And one of the things that our team has had to work our way through is how do we put these things into practice? How do we apply this in the specific context of God's calling on our lives to the epicenter, the people of Israel, uh, the Palestinians, and these five neighboring Arab countries, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and Egypt. I want you to remember four specific words. Learn, Pray, give, and go. 
That's what we talk about wherever I teach around the world as when you learn about what is God's heart for Israel and her neighbors, uh, what should I do? And we try to keep it simple so that it's, you know, that you can remember it. Learn, pray, give, and go. What do we mean by this? Well, you're here and you're learning. So you're taking step one. You're learning. We're, we're walking you through the scriptures. And, and I hope that we can continue being a resource to you to help you learn. That's a big mission of the Joshua Fund is the educational component. And that's why I travel all over the world. So many people don't know what God is doing, the, how powerfully he's moving, the Holy Spirit is moving. It's so exciting, and you've gotten a, I hope you've gotten a flavor of that, both in terms of factoids, as it were, but also you've seen people who are living it. And I hope that's been encouraging, and those will be things that you take away and share with other people. Uh, one fact that I haven't shared with you, um, uh, but I, I think I ought to if we're spending a little time on learn, and that would be how many followers of Jesus in the Jewish community are there worldwide today? Okay? Uh, we believe that in 1967, when I was born, the best research we've been able to do and talking to Jewish missions experts around the world, we believe there were fewer than 2,000 Jewish followers of Jesus in 1967 in the entire world. Okay, fewer than 2,000. That's not that many uh, worldwide. And most of them uh, were in the United States. Most of the ones in Europe had been killed in the Holocaust, or had fled to the United States, or to Israel, or uh, some other country. So that was 1967, 52 years ago. Today, based on a sweeping survey that the Joshua Fund helped finance, that was done last year by the Southern Baptist Research Arm, known as Lifeway Research, uh, we now believe there are 871,000 Jewish followers of Jesus in the United States alone. 871,000, two of which are right here, although I'm not in America anymore, so I guess only one of which is here right now. Uh, That's Jeremy. But uh, that's interesting, 871,000. And that's people who theologically are evangelicals, but have Jewish roots. They're either Jewish parents or grandparents. That's really extraordinary. Just think of how much growth there has been. And then if you add in you know, the 30,000 or so Jewish followers of Jesus or Messianic Jews. It's the same term. Somebody asked me that today. What's the difference between an evangelical and a Messianic Jew? Nothing in the sense that theologically a Messianic Jew is a person who believes that Jesus is the Messiah and the only way to heaven. And so that's exactly what an evangelical believes. So it's the same thing. It's just a, a term used for Jewish people who believe in Jesus. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. 
Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day today is found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 and 36. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And our prayer requests today are that the gospel efforts in the Middle East and the troubled areas around the world yield a bountiful harvest. And second, pray that more people are willing to learn, pray, give, and go for the furtherance of the gospel in the Middle East and parts of the world where the gospel is really needed at this time. So that's a little bit of the learning side. Now the next side, uh, learn, pray, right? Learn, pray, give, go. Learn, pray. The more you know about the Lord and his heart, the more you know about the Holy Spirit moving, and the more you know about the good, the bad, and, and the ugly that's happening in the Middle East, the more focused we can pray. So that's learn and pray and give. You know, you can give to lots of different wonderful ministries that do work in the Middle East, but the Joshua Fund, as we've been talking about, tries to act as a mutual fund for the donor, from your perspective, thinking, I don't know exactly what ministry to invest in. And even if I did, I don't know exactly how to get the money there, and I don't know how to follow up to make it sure it's being, you know, invested wisely, and I don't really know the theology of all these ministries, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be a trusted resource for you. Again, don't take the analogy you know, all the way. We are not going to provide you a return on your investment in this lifetime. It's a tax-deductible uh, donation. Uh, you can get a write-off on your taxes. But beyond that, uh, I'm not talking about you getting, you know, this is not a plant a seed and God's going to give you a Learjet. Okay, I don't want you to hear that. It's not going to... I mean, he might give that to you, but it has nothing to do with what you do with us. (laughs) In fact, if you have a Learjet, maybe you don't really need it. Maybe you sell it and you uh, invest it in the kingdom work. I don't know. Uh, That's uh, that's up to you. But the point is, we're not prosperity gospel people. We believe if you give your life to the Lord and you invest your life, you could suffer. Because that's what the Bible says will happen when you do ministry in the Middle East. You will be persecuted. Right? That's what Paul promises to Timothy and to all believers. All who will live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if, you, if it hasn't happened yet, you know, buckle up, because it's coming. It's just part of the Christian life. It's part of living a life of Matthew 24 and 25. That, it just comes with the territory. So we're not supposed to be surprised by the fiery trials that come our way. It's, it's part and parcel. But we would love to be a place where you felt comfortable, that you would trust us to invest with that context, we also, uh, I wanted to share with you uh, just briefly uh, a range, uh, sort of a, let's call it a Chinese menu of options of the types of things that we invest in. Now, let me be clear as I say this, we don't generally encourage what we call designated giving, where you specifically say, I want to cover that. We're not opposed to it, and we certainly receive it. But of course, you just have to understand up front, if you were to see something we're about to show you and say, I'd like to cover the whole thing. Wonderful. But what if there's two of you that say that? We will need to shift those resources once it's covered into something else. So that's why generally we we give you a, a sense of what we're up to and where we believe God is leading us. And then, you know, uh, so you, you understand that, but we generally don't say, would you specifically cover this or that? But again, if the Lord puts that on your heart, fabulous. And we'll tell you, 
you know, honestly, if you, if you say, I'd like to cover this specific thing, and there's three couples that want to do that, we'll come back to two of you and say, okay, somebody covered that, but here's some other options. Would you like to, you know, invest in something else? So here's uh, some options, for example. So the Preach the Word conferences that we have, they are two conferences back-to-back. One is for, and I, and I mentioned this before, but just as a recap, uh, we teach the Word of God. We preach the Word of God, inviting Israeli, Jewish, and Arab pastors, ministry leaders, and their spouses. And we take them to a hotel, and we take care of them for the several days. All their expenses are covered. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time of worship. It's a time of prayer. And it's a time of teaching where they are not responsible for the teaching. Uh, where we bring in a team of wonderful teachers, not brand name people, so that they're not coming to hear a specific famous person from the United States, but just people who love them. And now we're, it's the same team that comes every year by God's grace. You know, the Israelis, pastors and ministry leaders have built such wonderful relationships and back and forth with this teaching team. I'm part of that teaching team, so I'm mildly famous, but they're coming in spite of me. This is something we do not just for Israelis, though. Then we do the exact same retreat or conference for all the Palestinian pastors, ministry leaders, and their wives. And then we sprinkle in, as God allows us with a few extra seats here and there, some key young people that are really, we sense that they would really benefit from sort of being in on what they normally wouldn't get because they're not a senior pastor or an assistant pastor or worship leader, but that they would benefit enormously, that it would inspire and encourage them. And that, doing all that, that's expensive, but it's some of the, the best investment we've ever seen. We do pastor's retreats. We take Israeli pastors two weeks at a time, one cohort one week, another cohort the second week. This is smaller. This is 12, 15, no more than 20 to a retreat center outside of Israel. Again, it's studying the word of God, but you're doing it together. In fact, the same passages that we study at Preach the Word, the following spring when we gather these pastors and ministry leaders, uh, we actually study the same passages. So we're unpacking together and listening to them as they study the Word, answering their questions, hearing each other answer each other's questions. It's such an encouraging time and a refreshing time. We mentioned that we uh, do a lot of humanitarian relief and it's tremendously fruitful. It just it's a, There's something about doing what Jesus actually said care for the poor and needy that opens hearts and opens relationships. Youth ministry. We've been talking about the importance of reaching the youth and making sure that they, the youth ministries of Israel, have the resources to share the gospel and to equip and disciple and train the young people of the country. One of the things we love uh, so much is investing in the, or one of the pro-life ministries in Israel. So even if you want to keep your baby, and your single would-be mom, you feel cut off from your community. You're, you may not have any resources. How are you going to provide just the diapers for this baby for the first year? This is what we come along and do. And we have seen so many women bring their babies to term and begin to, to, to really nurture and care for them. But they need help. And we just find it a great, great honor to come alongside and do that. So obviously when we say learn and pray and give and go, there is a special emphasis on the giving. And so as you go back, what we're not saying is, oh, we've got a missions trip that you can spend three weeks doing this, this, and this. That would be awesome. And if the Lord ever tells us to do it, we'll tell you. (laughs) But right now, that's not what he's saying. So... Well, I encourage you to go back, and as you share about these things, maybe you want to be part of helping, you know, encouraging family, friends, your missions committee. 
at your church to get involved financially with the Joshua Fund. You can be your little area's representative. We're not formally deputizing you, but we're just saying, let this passion, what God has put on you, if he has, become part of the thing that you mobilize and educate other people to learn and to pray and to give and to go. And that would be just a wonderful uh, way to be involved and an ongoing way by helping get other people involved. That would be wonderful. This has been a production of the Joshua Fund whose mission is to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. Subscribe to our videos by clicking the subscribe button. You'll find some videos that we've chosen specifically for you. And if this is a ministry that you'd like to support financially, just make a tax-deductible donation by clicking here to visit our giving page. Thank you. We look forward to partnering with you to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this episode with Joel. I hope you've been challenged as I have and spurred to invest more of your time and resources to glorify God daily and understand the importance of helping those in need. And if you found this podcast valuable, please get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. Are you someone who's searching for Jesus? Here's where you can find him. Do you want to talk about something else on this show? Do you have a question you want Joel to answer? Go to joshuafund.com and click on Contact Us. Your feedback is incredibly valuable to us as we develop this podcast. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg and the Joshua Fund Ministry Team, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.